let's continue in worship by turning in prayer. Yes, Father, you are worthy of so much worship and much more. We recognize that. Recognize that this was a drop in the big, great big bucket. Um, we are amazed by the fact that you're so holy and glorious and great, and yet you've stooped down into humanity, walked among us, and redeemed us. You, you saved us by crucifying your own son, by shedding his blood, and putting on him what we deserved. That's absolutely amazing, Lord. You recognize that. And we're here to hear from you, to be taught by you. We want to live in a way that honors you, and you've given us all the truth we need in your word. And we want to come to your word right now, and not hear the preacher, but hear, hear the words of the God, hear and know who he is. And it is good, Lord, that we are in John because then we can be at the feet of Christ in a real way and really hear from him um, what it means to be a disciple. And we know it's not just knowledge. We don't just want information. We want to be transformed into the image of Christ, Lord. We want to look more and more like your son, and um, that's what we're coming here for. So, so, so be with the preacher, as feeble and inhuman as he is, and lead his tongue, lead his, his mind, and touch the hearts of your people, Lord. May we not be indifferent. May we be transformed um, by renewing of our minds. It's not just a cliche verse, Lord. It is truth, and we, we hold on to it by faith, and we, we are asking, Lord, that you would accomplish such truth right now. And we pray all in Jesus' name. Amen. The Holy Spirit has been called the silent member of the Trinity. And I will say that in certain more conservative circles, it's more true than, than others. What I mean is, even though that we have great, sound, biblical explanation and definition of who the Spirit is and what He does, when it comes to experiencing keeping in step with the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, what it's going to look like, we don't have that much information. And then there's other circles where it's all about the experience. And most of it, most of it, not all, but most of the experience is not based off what the Scripture says of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I love about our text this morning. As we come back to the upper room and get to John chapter 16, the coming of the Spirit, what Jesus has hinted at is not going to be explained to them. We're going to see that it's not just information, it's going to be applied in their lives in very palpable ways. But we want to get into the context first of all. So we're going to read chapter 16, verse 1 to 15, even though we're going to focus on 5 to 15. And I would like to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's inherent infallible word. As I read John 16, verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I have told them to you. I, oh, yeah. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was not with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? 
But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the rule of this world is judge. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Thank you. You may be seated. So we've seen that Jesus is warning them about the fact that there will be enemies, and some of them will be from their own family even, that they will be the witnesses of Christ, and the Spirit will also witness. Now, the Spirit is not going to witness somewhere out there whispering, repent, repent. No, he's going to work through them. They will be the witnesses by the help of the Spirit. That's when we get into the passage, we understand what they're going to witness exactly. What's the message the Spirit's going to give them to give? But then we have verse 5 and 6, which is kind of weird. See, verse 5, as I read it again, says, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? See, as I said before, sometimes we read our Bibles too quickly. We don't stop at those particular verses. He told them, you'll be my witnesses. Then he's going to explain how he's going to witness. And in the middle of that, he says, oh yeah, by the way, I'm leaving. Wait, what? But you already, you already talked about that. Why are you saying again that you're leaving when you've already told us that in chapter 14? Why are you saying we can't ask any more questions? See, it's good to stop and wonder, what is verse 5 and 6 doing here? Because you could have taken them away and have Jesus say, you're going to be my witnesses, and here's how you're going to do it, verse 7 and 8. But no, these verses are there for a reason. I don't have all the answers, but I do have two reasons that I think fit into what's going on right now. The first, I think it's a reality check, a reminder, a wake-up call, if you will. Because he's been telling them about the fact that, you know, I was with you from the beginning, the good old days, the three and a half years of ministry, and also the, the reality that they would face things and they're focused on themselves right now and need to remember, no, guys, I, I'm about to leave. He needs to bring them back to this reality that they may have forgotten about. I said I'm leaving. You need to remember I'm leaving. He even says that by, by that striking but, right? I'm trying to get your attention back on the fact that I'm leaving. Now, the second reason also connected to the first is because this brings us back to the whole reason of the upper room discourse. Remember, he, they're having this Passover meal. And this time around, Jesus says, I'm going to be delivered over to the Romans. Well, that's not normal. All their messianic hope of a conquering king taken away. And fear grips their hearts. And that's when he gets into this discourse to bring peace to their hearts, right? Believe in me. 
because me and the Father are one. I'm going away to bear a place for you, and then I'm going to come back and get you and bring you with me because I'm the way. I'm the way to the Father. The rest of chapter 14 and even into 15, it's all about Christ and abiding in Him and believing in Him. Though He hints at the Spirit, when He mentioned the Spirit, He talks about how the Spirit is going to be the way for Christ to live in them. It's still all about Christ. So He's bringing back to that, you know, remember what I was talking about? Me leaving? But now let's get to that coming comfort part. Let me pull the curtain way back and let you see that Spirit coming in more details this time around. Before it was all about me, now it's going to be all about the Spirit. So I believe, like I said, first is to bring them back to the moment where they're in, and second, to bring them back to why this is happening right now. And it's time to talk about the Spirit. The fact that he says, don't ask me where are you going, is because they already asked their questions in chapter 14. Right? Thomas, Philip, they were asking questions. We're settled this, guys. So don't ask me questions anymore. You know what's going on. I've told you about it in chapter 14. We need to be moving along. Then he says, but because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Don't miss the but because. We're going to see over and over again Jesus using these contrasts, these buts. This is happening but, this but, this but over and over again. And also because he's going to keep explaining because God is a God of logic, this has a reason. And it's going to come over and over again in this speech. Now, the fact he talks about the sorrow filling their hearts, again, brings me back to that first point. They were focused on themselves. They were focused on the good times with Jesus. And now they're being reminded, wait, we're going to lose Jesus? Sorrow is once again filling their hearts. That's why 5 and 6 is here. He's dealing with the reality, bringing them back to now, but also moving them back to Let's talk about the spirit now. He even says, nevertheless, another but. I know there's sorrow in your heart, guys. I know you're focused on your pain, but I need to tell you something important. I tell you the truth. You need to grasp something, guys. I know you're filled with pain and sorrow, which let's admit it, sometimes there's moments in our lives we're so focused on what's going on. God needs to say, nevertheless, you need to focus over here. It is to your advantage that I go away. This word advantage keeps coming up in different ways throughout the Bible. This idea of something palpable, of solid, it was better for us. Think of Ecclesiastes, saying how the whole world is Havel, it's emptiness, it's nothingness. We're looking for that gain, that palpable something that's, of course, found with God. Same thing when Paul says, my greatest gain is to die and to be with Christ. So again and again with this idea of there's something greater in this advantage and this gain, and it's Jesus going away. Now we're saying, yes, of course, amen, the coming spirit, but we need to build ourselves in their shoes. He's the messianic hope. He's the ruling king that's going to conquer the Romans, and he says, no, me going away is better for you. How does that help them? Well, he needs to explain a bit more, because if I do not go away, the helper, the comforter, will not come to you. See, in God's great plan, Jesus came to accomplish a certain aspect of it. He came in incarnation and accomplished part of that plan, and when he leaves, then the Spirit comes and applies the plan. Jesus accomplished, the Spirit comes to apply it. But one comes after the other. One must happen 
and then be finished for the next one to come. And it's far better for them to have the indwelling Holy Spirit, God himself in them, and in every disciple, all around the world, and in all generations, than one rabbi in Israel 2,000 years ago. Even if he was man, God made man, far better. Again, it would have been hard for them to fully hold on to that, to really be moved and, and transformed by that, compared to us, of course, now, 2,000 years later. So Jesus needs to keep explaining to them, but if I go, I'll send him to you. You, you need to move on from your focus to what is better for you. I need to go so he can come. You need this comforter. You need this helper. You need this spirit far more than you need me doing miracles. And then he explains. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. There's at least two things I want to see in this verse. And the first is the work of the Spirit is going to be to convict the world. Not a very popular message nowadays when we preach the gospel, right? It's about Jesus loving you, and God has a good plan for your life. It might be nice, but the Spirit, according to Jesus, will come to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It needs to hit home for us as much as it did for them. That's what the Spirit came to do and is doing now. He's coming to convict. And we have to understand that when he talks about convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, it's not just the inner working of the Spirit, it's the outer working of their mouths. Like we said before, it's the synergy. They're going to be preaching so they can, people in the world can be convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and the Spirit's going to apply it in their hearts as well. But it needs the preaching first. You don't have the preaching about the sin, righteousness, and judgment, what conviction can the Spirit do? And that's when we have to understand what does he mean by sin, righteousness, and judgment? And here again I say, we read our Bibles too quickly. We might read concerning sin and think about, well, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? All born in Adam are rebels and enemies of God, which is all true. But that's not where Jesus goes. He says, because, here's the reason, they do not believe in me. Huh, that's interesting. He doesn't talk about how evil people are, which they are sinful. No, he says it's because they don't believe in me. Now we understand we're not talking about the anybody kind of, any version of Jesus type of Jesus here. It's not believe in any Jesus you want to, or the Jesus of any religion. We know it's the Jesus of the word of God, the one who came to save, the one who was man, who lived perfectly, who came upon the cross and took our sins on himself because he became sin for us, the one who died for our sins. That's the Jesus they're supposed to believe in. And if they reject that, the only door into the kingdom of God, the only way to the Father, well, they're still dead in their sins. But don't miss it. It's all about the exclusiveness of believing in that Jesus. I want to really be specific here. That Jesus. Not just believing in Jesus. That Jesus. That's how the Spirit's going to convict people of sin. You rejected that Jesus. You're done for And when, same thing when he talks about righteousness. 
if we put ourselves again in their shoes, righteousness, oh, you mean obeying a Torah, right? Having a righteousness that's beyond the Pharisees, full, perfect obedience, that kind of righteousness, right? The Spirit's going to come and convict us to be even more obedient, more faithful, I had more loss, just to make sure. Because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more. Then again, what does that mean? What is the idea of concerning righteousness and Jesus going to his Father and being seen no more? How does that connect? I'll let you ponder. Well, again, remember who he's talking to, right? Eleven Jewish men who know the Bible, who know the story of a certain man way back when, in a time when everybody was wicked, but he was faithful to God. He was approved to God, taken away, seen no longer. His name was Enoch. He was taken to be with God and seen no longer. We should understand in this that this uh, son of God will go before a holy God and be kept there, accepted, that he won't be sent back, you didn't fulfill your mission. See, where everybody else in their righteousness stands before a holy God, they will be sent in outer darkness. You're rejected. He will go before him and stay there. He will be seen no longer in that sense. He will be righteous, and therefore also our righteousness. I believe that's what Jesus is getting at when he says that it's going to be concerning righteousness, your righteousness will never stand before God, but mine, when I go to the Father, I will be accepted and not sent back. And then you have concerning judgment. Well, because all those sinners are judged, right, Jesus? Because the ruler of this world is judged. And we understand he's talking about Satan. I don't think I have to prove that to you. But what is this... Satan being judged have to do with concern, the world being convicted of judgment. Again, a question we should ask when we look at that. And this is, again, where Scripture helps us understand. In John chapter 12, Greek men want to meet Jesus, and Jesus says, this is it. This is the end. And a voice from heaven thunders. People are wondering what's going on. And Jesus explains. Jesus answers, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. See, we, we have to see again the contrast, even though there's no buts here, between salvation and damnation, where Christ will give that salvation, but the ruler, he, he gives out damnation. You can't miss the parallelism between the fact of the world is judge and the ruler is judge. And because they're the one and the same, they're together. You see, back in the day, when a king was at war, his kingdom was at war as well. So when a king is being judged and rejected by God, well, so is his kingdom. It's all about headship. Or as Christ put it so well, when we come back to our text too, you're all the children of the devil. And as long as you stay in that kingdom, you're under his judgment as well. The judge, the, the rule of this world has been judged. Well, if you're with him, you're also judged. That kind of um, convicting is happening here. 
But like I said, this is, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. Be reminding them that they are sinners and they can't be made righteous by themselves. That they are under the same judgment as the ruler and only through Christ can they be made right. That's the message that he's going to preach through their lips. It's a different way of express, expressing it. And it should uh, hit notes for us to think about what does Christ, what does the Spirit consider as the gospel, right? Convicting the world of sin because they don't believe in Jesus. Of righteousness because only Christ is righteous. And of judgment because those who are with the ruler are already judged. And then Jesus says this. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. There's stuff I, can, I want to share, but it's too weighty for you to grasp. And I can't help but ask the question, is it too weighty for us? Is it too much what Christ has to share with them for us as well? And we're going to discover that as we look at the last part of what Jesus tells them about the coming spirit. So let's see if it's too much for us to bear as it was for them. He explains that when the spirit of truth comes, he will give spiritual gifts to everybody. He's going to do miracles and signs. He's going to give you special direction for your life. Um, He will guide you into all the truth. And don't miss the truth, not your truth, my truth, everybody's truth, my personal truth in my life. No, all the truth, right? He, he talked about it before when he talked about the coming comforter. He would give them, remind them what Jesus taught and also give them the rest of the truth that they needed. That's the, the truth that they need, that they're going to get from the Spirit. See, by the Spirit strength, they're able to bear under in this spiritual uh, Strength training that he's going to give them, so progressively they're going to get more and more of this great truth. So be like physical strength training, you know. And you start out, you're not very strong, and you wait, you lift weights, and you get stronger, and lift more weights, and get stronger. Well, spiritually, the same thing. The spirit will lead them and lead us more and more to grasp. And more we grasp and apply, more we get and apply, and more we get and apply, stronger spiritually we get. But it's all about the truth, right? It's that's what the Spirit's going to come to give them. That's the weightiness that they can't get yet, but they'll get later on. Again, I ask, do we get that? And I find it interesting where he goes after this. For he will not speak on his own authority. Don't, don't miss that little four. The reason I say that the Spirit's going to come and give you all the truth, the reason I could say it's going to be all the truth, it's because he will not speak in his own authority. It's kind of weird for the reasoning, right? I can tell you it's going to be all the truth because it's not his truth. It's not his authority. It's not about the spirit. He's going to explain where it's, where it's coming from, but it's not about his. That's why he could say it's all the truth because it's not the spirit's truth. It's not about his authority or his message. He just continues to explain, but, see, it's not his authority, but... Whatever he hears, he will speak. So he's going to get it somewhere. He's going to get this message some way. Jesus doesn't say it yet. He's going he's to keep it for later, like any good preacher. He's going to wait till the end for the punch. But he does say after that, and he will declare. And that the declaring is going to happen two more times in our text. Two more times in a few verses. He's going to be sharing, giving this important divine truth. Here he says, he will declare to you the things that are to come, 
Yes, eschatology. Oh, the secret revelation. I love it. Well, is that all that Jesus means here by things that are to come? Think about it for a second. Who is he talking to? Eleven apostles. Before he went to the cross, and they understood what that meant. Before he was resurrected, or he spent 40 days with them, or established a church and explained what it means to be the church. All that is still to come. All that they still have, they haven't gotten yet. There's no four gospels yet. There's no book of Acts or the epistles, or yes, the book of Revelation. All of this is to come. All this is the truth that they can't get yet, but they will through the help of the Spirit. He's going to declare it to them. But again, don't forget, it doesn't come from the Spirit. Oops, too fast. I did want to point out one thing, though, and that's the truth and the things to come. We can't miss it. It's all about Christ. It's all about... the. The church of Christ, the body of Christ, the return of Christ. It's about living as Christians, honoring Christ. And I say this because that's what Paul says too. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face. So what is Paul's great struggle? What is so important to Paul for all these churches? That their hearts may be encouraged. Amen. Be knit together in love. Yes. Here's, here's the purpose of it, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, ha yes, secret knowledge, which is Christ, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's, it's all about Christ. So, the, so when we come back to this, declaring the things to come and the truth from before, it's it's all about Christ. And like I said, it's, it's not about the Spirit's message. He has not that authority. He's not coming in that authority. But like Jesus says, he's coming to glorify me. His message is about Christ. And now he's going to tell us where it's going to come the information. For he will take what is mine. He's going to take the information from Christ. It's not his authority, it's Christ's authority. It's not his message, it's Christ's message. It's so what is mine. That's what he's going to declare to you. So that's why I said before that all these things to come that he's going to declare, well, it's, it's all about Christ. Like, like Paul said to Colossians, Jesus is saying it here. He's going to take what is mine. It's all about revealing and expressing and presenting all the deep riches that is in Christ Jesus, the Word made flesh. And then Jesus adds one more thing. All the Father has is mine, so Jesus gets it from the Father. The Father gives it to Jesus. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Father gives it to Jesus, Jesus gives it to the Spirit, the Spirit gives it to the disciples and to us right now. And I love the beautiful Trinitarian ballet being played out before us in the upper room. Because in the beginning, Jesus said, the Father is greater than me, so he was lifting him up. But now he's saying the Father is going to take what is his and give it to Jesus. Jesus is lifted up. Jesus takes this message and gives it to the Spirit. The Spirit is lifted up. But then the Spirit says, no, it's all about Jesus. And he's lifted up again. Beautiful, humbling, loving Trinitarian ballet being played out before our eyes. That's what the coming of the Spirit is all about. So what does it mean for them, for us, according to Jesus, for the Spirit to be coming 
Well, we can't miss, as we saw in the beginning, it started with the fact that their hearts were filled with sorrow. Certain sadness has crept in. The reality of life hit them hard. Jesus is leaving. And Jesus deals with that by telling them about the coming comforter again. Except not the warm fuzzies he's going to give you. The gospel he's going to give to you. Don't forget that when he convicts the world of sin because they don't believe in Jesus, we do. We know that our sins are taken care of. We have an advocate before the Father, right? We can go before the one who was tempted in all things and did not fall, and he can deliver us in temptation. We know that if we confess our sins, we admit as he says, this is sin, he will forgive us. Not because of active contrition, not because you cry enough, you hit your chest a few times. No, because what Christ did. You believe what Jesus did. You are forgiven of your sins. Righteousness. Because we, not just the world that understands that the righteousness is not good enough, but because we know his is. And we are hidden in his righteousness. We are absolutely approved and accepted because of him always. Yeah, but Martin, you don't, you don't know how bad I've been this last couple of weeks, man. I haven't really prayed or read the Bible, and I don't want to tell you about my sin life. Here's the thing. It's not about your righteousness. Once again, it's about his. Oh, yeah, you don't live in sin. A regenerated heart will not love living in sin. If, that, if you do, you need to repent because you don't. But you still realize it's not about your standing. It's about his standing, and you are in him. And same thing for judgment. Yes, the world is under the judgment with their ruler, but we're not. And better yet, this ruler, our enemy of our soul, he's already judged and cast out. Yes, but you know, he has designs, and he's a roaring lion, and we have to fight him in the principalities too. And it's again when I say context, people. You have to remember the context. When Paul talks about the designs of Satan, it's in a context where somebody had sinned, repented, and was supposed to be welcomed back into the church because we know the designs of Satan is to separate people from the church. The same idea of unity comes back in Peter when he talks about the Roman lion. You're supposed to realize other people are going through that too, and you stick together. You face him through your faith in Christ, not the strength of your faith. Same thing when he talks about fighting the, the principalities. He says you stand. That's what you do. You stand in Christ, his righteousness, his truth, his salvation, his gospel, faith in him. That, that's all you do. That's the big fight. You stand in Christ. That's how you deal with it. That's the great heaviness that they got. That's as much as they could handle. And again, I have to ask, can we handle more? Now, there's a difference for us. We do have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And we do have the finished scripture to all things. It's given to us. But again, I ask, um, are you really able to bear more of what it means for the Spirit to come? Don't be too quick to answer that. Because if you think that the Spirit has been given to you specifically to give you special direction for your life, or the Word of God is there so you can take pieces out to give you greater spiritual death, or through certain means you can tap into the Spirit more to get experiences, you don't get it. You're not strong enough to get the truth of what it means for the Spirit to come. Because the Spirit takes what is of Christ and gives to us. 
even for us now, after all of this, think about it. The fruit of the Spirit right, includes love, joy, peace. What did Jesus say? I give you my peace. I give you my joy. I give you my love. The Spirit is taking what is of Jesus and giving it to us. The gift of the Spirit. Ephesians tells us Christ is the one who ends out the gifts for the good of his church and the edifying his body. The Spirit just is the one that puts it, puts it forward for the good and the glory of Christ. It, it still comes back to the fact that he's taking what is of Christ and applying it in our lives in a way that will truly transform you. When the Spirit takes what is the truth of Christ and applies it in, his, in your life, you will have experiences. You will be transformed in your mind, heart, and life for sure. So yeah, there's definitely an experience aspect of this truth. And may the Lord help us to apply it and live it out as well. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, again, thank you because you did not leave us without your word, with your truth, without your revelation, without your guidance, your direction, Lord. We would be lost. We would be leading ourselves as blind men lead other blind men. And we're grateful, Lord. We're grateful that we're not um, under the direction of men or our own whims, but of your word. And we want, to, we want these truths, Lord, to be applied to our hearts and lives. Understanding that these truths will change us, must change us. And so we turn to you, Lord. Um, we want all the truth from the Spirit really rubbed into our very hearts and minds and, and lives to change our desires and thoughts and very DNA to be more like Christ. So we turn to you in weakness and ask, please help us by your spirit. And pray in Jesus' name, amen.